from Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher. While the objects around me, while the carvings of the ceilings, the somber tapestries of the walls, the ebon blackness of the floors, and the phantasmagoric armorial trophies which rattled as I strode were but matters to which, or to such as which, I had been accustomed from my infancy, while I hesitated not to acknowledge how familiar was all this, I still wondered to find how unfamiliar were the fancies which ordinary images were stirring up. This is Gothic. Previously on Gothic. When last we left our travelers, the otherworldly lorry had just destroyed a room full of spirits intent upon feeding on the divine being's soul, whilst elsewhere in Castle Kane, Mr. Chauncey Candlewick, with somewhat more effort, dispatched a number of ghoulish figures wishing to cause grievous harm to the immortal. Grace Moreau, however, found herself face to face with one of the very hounds of hell, and though she raised her fighting sticks in defiance, the beast unleashed upon her a storm of fire from its blazing maw. Parts of your clothing catch on fire. Uh, your your skin um, it gets overheated and and has that sunburn feel to it. Uh, <laughs> hair product <laughs> uh, floofs up. You, you're going to need some some serious work from your uh, stage people uh, to get back my, into uh, my poor dressmaker is going to be shape. so upset. <laughs> I'm I'm picturing <laughs> I'm picturing like a cartoon where the fireball goes past and I'm just there with my hair all frazzled like blinking like <laughs> sort of and you take three harm armor defeating armor defeating so that means that my armor doesn't do anything right that's bad that is painful because above four and you're in the dying range yeah that's not good so there's the flapping of wings and the smell of um, cardamom and cinnamon. Pumpkin pie spice. <laughs> and uh, Lori appears right next to you. And Lori, you see Grace is like staggered. Um, she's actually still smoldering and, and some of her clothing is still on fire. Uh, as you see in front of her, um, a giant mastiff-like hound, except you have seen one of these before. You, in fact, slew it. Another one. You slew one like it uh, that Lazarus Cain had also possessed in the past. I will go with the cast out evil. Are hellhounds really evil? Yes. It's defending its territory, guys. <laughs> Hell's right there in the name. <laughs> exactly. Uh... Seven, uh, nine. So that's a nine. It's going to take a little while for the banishing to take effect. You did this once before with the suit of armor that didn't actually have anything. Any evil to it. It was just a machination. And so you... Raise up my hands, light emits forth, and be gone, evil creature. It staggers. You, You see it give way, but... Here in the castle of Lazarus Cain, it seems to have more resistance than the one you encountered before. And it manages to, you're holding your hands out and you can almost see 
the lines of force rippling between you and the uh, hellhound. And it manages to push against this terrible wind of, of magic and uh, holy aura and swipes at you once with a claw for one harm, which I assume doesn't do anything to you. Since I have my divine armor. And then it turns and runs away. It leaps through the uh, glass door and is gone. Just smashing the door to, to smithereens. And Just like we said. Please. With its face. With its face. <laughs> it smashes the door with its face. Grace, are you all right? I felt better. Let me see what I can do. And I will use my lay on hands move. Ooh, cool. It, yeah, it uses my cool. <laughs> uh, that would be a seven. So I can heal harm or illness. But I take it into myself. Oh, gee. Heal two harm, so it's two. Heal two harm? So you you lose two, I gain two. All right, so Grace, you're feeling considerably better. Uh, you still have the... Your clothing and hair are still messed up. You're going to have what it, it amounts to the equivalent of a serious sunburn, uh, which you never thought you would get in England. <laughs> um, but you are much better. But what you see is that Lori... Uh, Lori, how do how do you do this? How do you? It's heal it, it's it's a lay on hand. It's like I touch them. Um, it, it, I don't imagine kind of like on supernatural where the angels would lay their hands on them and you see the light glowing. So Lori puts their hand on your forehead and a a warmth just flows through you. Um, not the warmth of like a hellhound's breath. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> a. A warmth like sitting by the fire on Christmas Eve. Uh, a warmth like uh, watching uh, in the kitchen as your grandmother bakes cookies. That kind of warmth. And that flows through you and pulls that pain that was beginning to come up because of your third degree burns. Yeah. <laughs> um, pulls that pain out of you. And you see, you actually see that Lori begins to smolder a bit. Nothing changes about their skin or uh, anything like that, but just smoke starts to <laughs> rise come up. Come out from under their collar. <laughs> from their collar, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's quite the miraculous ability. And then they exhale, and a, a huge a smoke ring. <laughs> cloud of smoke comes out. <sighs> of black, just black, gunky smoke. I wave it away. Well, that's quite the, uh, that's quite the, uh, healing touch you have there. Are you all right? Yes. Yes, I will be fine. We must find the others. Have you seen either... As if on cue, the glass skylight above you breaks as a body falls through it. Um, Grace, you're not quite quick enough to register who or what it is, but Lori, you are. It's, uh, Nathan Redbone. That's unfortunate. Uh, what state is Mr. Redbone in? Well, are you going to let him hit the ground, or are you going to do something about that? Uh, yeah, I would love to, um, let's see, protect someone. Sure. Okay, go for it. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, Eleven. Nice. It it will work perfectly. How do you see yourself doing this? I run over to catch them. You stick a big plant under <laughs> All right. You aren't far away from, from where Nathan is, is falling, and Brace... You you just register that Lori just moves with preternatural swiftness. And that's the third thing you need to know to begin to really be 90% sure that this 
is the being mentioned in the prophecies. Cool. Nice. Wait. The prophecies. <laughs> prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. You kind of give a little leap, Lori, and catch uh, you catch Nathan Redbone in your arms, and then you use that force, you redirect it, and you go rolling across the floor of the uh, conservatory, smash through a uh, potted uh, plant, but uh, do manage to save Nathan from more harm. How many times must I save you, sir? <laughs> he is unconscious, however. Uh, pretty cut up from going through the uh, glass of the skylight, too. Well, normally I would tear strips from my skirt and bandage his wounds with it, but they're uh, not much use at the moment, being all burnt to a crisp. Um, I'm still worried about the dog. I want to go to the door and stare after the hellhound and see if I can figure out where it went or if it's showing any signs of coming back. Uh, you go out and look into the hallway. This looks like you're going to investigate a mystery, I think. Sure. 10 plus 1 is 11. That's a whole 2. Okay. What sort of creature is it? Well, it's a hellhound. What can I do? Refine. Well, you didn't... I mean, I called it a, I called it a hellhound fair, before, fair, but you fair, didn't fair. actually know that. So if you want to ask the question, feel free. Uh, well, I like what can hurt it. Lori. Little Lori. <laughs> Why would you know... What could hurt a hellhound? There's studies in magic, of course. Yeah, maybe my sect has information about... I mean, Lori's encountered one before, so clearly this isn't like a one-time thing. Uh, are there libraries at the sect uh, that have information about uh, magical monsters? Or is it a previous encounter? Or how do you know your knowledge about hellhounds is really what I'm getting at here. I would estimate... Li I would say libraries is more likely this point you do recall having um, come across information about these beasts in the uh, library at the uh there are chapters all over the place one of the things i've chose for my sect is chapters everywhere in all kinds of uh opera houses across um you know like europe and russia and um i guess what i'm imagining is more like music you know music schools having large you know kind of classrooms and labyrinthine uh corridors and things like that, uh, many of which have rooms that you only enter if you're in the special education classes, which is to say the uh, initiated. So yeah, so in these uh, books that you have read, you, re you remember seeing something about these. Uh, you even remember the picture, and it looks almost exactly like the creature that you encountered. Cool. And you know that it can be harmed by magic and silver and cold iron. But like oh. regular mortal weapons, it has, uh, they can hurt it, but uh, it has uh, real defenses against uh, such things. Cool. And then the second question I think I'm going to ask is, where did it go? You can see from the light that is still shining from your spell down the corridor quite a ways, and you actually see scorch marks on the wallpaper of the, of the hallway. And uh, you see those go all the way down the hallway to a uh, stairwell that goes up. And so it did not turn away into any of the doors that are along the hallway. It, it appears to have run straight down the hall and, and went up the stairs. Excellent. Okay, cool. I mean, not because other people are in the house. Chauncey, a hellhound attack. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Do, does it go for the hat? It's wearing your hat. It goes, it's wearing your hat. <laughs> oh, there's nothing but rage and hate that fuels me. <laughs> so, Lori and Grace, what are you doing? I want to call back to Laurie and be like, is he alive? Is he all right? 
Seems alive. It's a little unconscious at the moment. Just a little. Just a little. <laughs> it's taken some harm, but I think he'll be okay. I don't want to leave him alone, but we really ought to get after that thing. It's gone upstairs, and I'm worried about the others. I can carry him for now, and I'm right behind you. All right, let's go. Just out of curiosity, you're not going to try a teleport? Uh, at the moment, no. <laughs> bad, bad things keep happening with people teleporting. <laughs> <laughs> Everything keeps changing, so at this point, I'm like, yeah, um, the way that we keep shifting into different rooms, I, I think that it wouldn't be the wisest thing, because it would probably just split us up again. I think you are correct. Let us stick together. As you two, I guess three, begin to uh, head out looking for something, the others or whatever. We're uh, going after the hellhound. The hellhound shouldn't be around much longer. I did uh, cast a banishing spell on it. If you'll remember that whenever you have banished um, uh, Chauncey in the past from a bar, when you've had uh, when you've had bar <laughs> fights, um, it's only been like you know five or six blocks. That's a bitch. Uh, and and sometimes I I imagine this, and tell me if I'm wrong because you guys are shaping the story. So the way I also see this is kind of like a vampire thing. So like if you you know if you're a vampire hunter and you hold up a cross against the vampire, then they have to flee from that. Uh, that's also a kind of banishment. It's is kind of how I'm seeing Sounds it. Sounds good to me. I'm not necessarily seeing it always as a, you banish them from the plane of existence or you, um, you know, send them into another dimension or whatever. But right. Either way, the banished creature is unharmed and you have no control over where it goes. Right. I just gave you no control over where yep. it goes. <laughs> uh, okay. As you two head down the hallway and as you, Chauncey, uh, loom over poor Isabella and the uh, watch. questioning her about her grandfather's watch that she wanted to buy, the whole castle shakes for a moment. Don't like that. And there is a sound that rises up from the depths. A... Sound. Yeah, kind of like that. Mm. Yeah, there you go. So the sound is very unearthly? It is very unearthly. Gotcha. I guess the master got his message. <laughs> Chauncey, you recognize that sound. Oh, dear. Hmm. Because you had to elicit it at one point Ooh. in the past. When you summoned the dark thing that became your master that gave you immortality in exchange for, well whatever you bargained for, mostly your soul, you had to make certain sacrifices. And when you made those sacrifices, that was the sound that you heard. Oh, we have other people selling souls and making fools of themselves. Okay, uh, in that case, let's go towards that noise. What do you say? That sounds like a horrible idea. <laughs> you can stay here alone in the dark. An even worse idea... Huh? Well, then come on, my dear. All right. And she follows behind you. Excellent. Grace, Lori, what about you guys? So we're heading towards the stairwell that's going up after the hellhound, but we yeah. hear the sound from below. Yes. Does the stairwell go down as well? Not here where you're at, but you, everywhere else you've seen in the house that there's been stairs, there's been stairway up and down nearby one another. That sounds a little bit bigger than a hellhound. Yes. Well, let's go find the downstairs. I follow you, my lady. All right. Okay, so we go. It doesn't take much searching to find the down. You are still 
Well, Lori can see in the dark, but you cannot, Grace. <laughs> in the dark. Dang it. I can lead the way. Okay, cool. Just please, hold on to me. I grab onto your coattail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm carrying one and dragging another along. <laughs> Whee! Uh, Redbone begins to awaken, actually. And he's like, oh, no, no, get away, no, no. Now calm down. Mr. Redbone, please calm yourself. <laughs> I've saved you yet again. But he's he's obviously he's obviously not talking about you, Lori. What 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 where where Lori? What where am I? Oh good lord. Oh good lord, this place. Oh why am I here? I don't want to be protector of anything. I don't want the prize. I just wanted some brandy. Shh, yes, yes. That's so wrong. Yes, it is it is this house is really awful and Oh uh, and I think I can stand Oh, oh well that's well. good. Of course. So I set him down. Oh, um, yeah, I, 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 I appeared on the roof. Um, I, I guess I was. I, I mean, we were there in the hallway when um, those those things attacked that guy with the weird eye. And um, what happened to you on the roof? It was dark. <sighs> he wipes a, a a hand across his brow and then he holds his head a little bit where there's still bleeding cuts. I was I was up there and something came out of the sky it was awful it it was like a giant bat and it came at me and i i i hit at it with my knife but it didn't do anything and i ran from it and um i i turned right at the edge of the castle wall but i um it was right there and it it just smashed right into me and and knocked me over and then i i saw like my whole life flashed before my eyes and it was just drinking and gambling and women and it was it's a wonderful wonderful life but it was just all too fast and i didn't want to i didn't want it to be over and then and then there there here you are and again you yes you have you saved my life again i don't like it <laughs> i mean i, I don't want to be dead but... ready to change your ways yet but I have a really great life. My dear, you've just fallen through a ceiling. That <laughs> ceiling. You've just smashed it. <laughs> I did a what? Here, take my handkerchief and mop up those cuts on your face. He wipes his forehead and it just comes away sopping with blood. <laughs> oh, I am going to really need a, a new tailor. Yeah, that goes for both of us, dear. What happened to you? He says. It... Also, I've completely lost um, Nathan Redbone's voice from the previous <laughs> He sounds like whatever you want him to sound like. He sounds like whatever. <laughs> depends on how much. Depends on how much he's been drinking. <laughs> he's he's a voice actor. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm sorry, but I'm afraid we have bigger bigger problems at hand. These these strange creatures that we've been seeing, I don't think they're the main problem here. Oh. A moment ago, we felt the house shake and something growled from beneath the ground. Well, that that's not good. Why don't we just leave? We sure can try. At least for the moment, I would suggest staying near us. I mean, do either of you want to be protector of Bledson? At this point, I just want this foul evil to be done with. Yes, I'm not convinced if something erupts from the earth that it will necessarily stay here and not, mm, say, go for a rampage across the countryside, and I'd rather that not happen. Oh, good lord, oh why? Why am I doing this? Would you rather stay in the conservatory alone, dear? <sighs> good lord, no. All right, let's go. Tally-ho! Huzzah!
and you start down the stairs, and those uh, deposit you into yet another hallway, uh, but this one is cold and damp and dank, and yes, actually, not gas uh, lamps like there are in some of the hallways upstairs. There are torches in sconces on the wall. They've been burning for a while, it appears. They're guttering low and reddish, and at that same moment, as you enter that hallway, uh, from down at the other end of the hallway, another set of stairs that goes up in that case, you see uh, two figures appear there, and it appears to be uh, Mr. Chauncey Candlewick and uh, Isabella. Excellent. <laughs> and likewise, you see uh, Grace and Nathan Redbone and uh, Lori at the other end of the hall, Chauncey. I'd be worried if they did not see us. Like turn back to Isabella. I'm glad you didn't you didn't kill Mr. Redbone. There's the proof. <laughs> well, it looks like you two made it through alive. I why kill kill Mr. Red Mr. Candlewick, how could you say such a thing? Yes, yes. Hush, hush. Details, details. Okay. I'm going to stretch straight up to, to Lori, and I'm going to casually observe him for a moment. Casually? <laughs> Just casually. Grace, you, you notice something very strange happens when Chauncey Candlewick and Lori are face-to-face. They look very similar. Um, they're about the same height. They, they have a similar... Um, although uh, Chauncey Candlewick identifies himself as male and goes by masculine pronouns and stuff. He, he does have sort of a mm. uh, an androgynous look about him uh, to an extent, uh, while Lori has that same uh, look. And uh, it's just a clothing difference is really the biggest thing. Uh, Candlewick is wearing darker clothes, I assume, yes? Oh, yes, I have, I have coattails and everything. Uh, an elaborate dark suit and, of course the ever-present top hat, while um, Lori's clothes... What what do your clothes look like, Lori? I actually have it. It's like a suit in like perfect condition, hiding uh, male armor that I'm wearing. Um, and it is perfect. There's no rumples to it. It is a lighter color, of course. Um, not quite as uh, fashion-forward, but uh, definitely not of poor make. So you see that Lori's clothing contrasts with that of uh, Chauncey Candlewick in that it is of lighter grays and uh, off-whites. Immaculate, but not necessarily of the most stylish fashions. And as they stand right next to one another like this, it's, it's almost as if they are indeed two sides of the same coin. And you almost feel something vibrating in the air. And your eyes widen as you re- have a realization, it's not just Lori that's part of the prophecy. Oh no, father. <laughs> father. You say nothing, though, and our scene continues. Uh, so go ahead, uh, Chauncey, make your confrontation. I'm going to ask Lori, I was like, do you still uh, suffer with that annoyance to combat evil in all of its forms? As anywhere I can find it. Uh, and does uh, such, such predilections, you know, lead you into maybe the certain jaws of death in some situations? Would you say that? Oh yes, of course. What if, what if I was were to tell you that perhaps this evening something of the most diabolical nature is happening below our feet? Ah, uh, yes, I can sense that as well. Now, 
if you were to be put in, say, proximity to, to such diabolical evil, would you feel compelled to destroy it? Uh, of course. Excellent. All right, follow me. Let's 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 get on. I'm just gonna I'm gonna smirk, and I have a plan and a thought that is totally self-serving. <laughs> Excellent. All right. All right. All right. Well, no, no, no need dilly dallying here. At the center of this hall, um, which you passed by, Chauncey, on your way to confront Lori, but at the uh, at the center point of the hall, there is a door in the wall, not between you. Okay, not just floating. Not All just right. a floating door. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Spooky door. <laughs> I suppose that looks like a good enough ingress into the house. Mr. Redbone, would you like to lead the way? Um, uh, no. <laughs> He's like, are you joking? <laughs> oh. <laughs> and uh, Isabella, like, gives gives Nathan Redbone two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Well then, I'll, um, hmm. That's fine. I will take the lead. Oh, 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 my, my dear fellow. Go right ahead. So, so <laughs> gracious. All right, so, <laughs> with Lori in the lead, uh, you go to the door and open it, and beyond it is another set of stairs going down. Perfect. A chill, musky breeze blows up from below. Okay. Um, I'm gonna turn to Grace. I was like, would you please perhaps bring up the rear in this? I was just going to suggest that, and I kind of shepherd Esbella and Mr. Redbone in front e- of me. Exactly. In case anything comes at us from behind. It, uh, uh, you, you take after your great-great-aunt Stella so much. All right. I beg your pardon? Let's go. <laughs> please stay close. We don't need to be separated again. Yeah, no more no more of this. Let's go. Oh, and what, what, what's our lighting situation? Is it still just my candle? I grab a torch. Did you grab a torch from the hallway? Yeah. Oh, were there more? No, no. How fitting for me to carry the candle. I descend. Hey. As you go down to the stairs, let's have another cutaway. <clears throat> Luther Arkeem didn't know why he was invited to Lord Bledson's dinner party. He hadn't wanted to come. He'd wanted to stay in his curio shop in Bledson and inventory the four-fang bat collection brought to him from the Far East by a traveler who had recently gained passage back from there after having been lost in the jungle for nearly four years. The bats were extraordinary and well-preserved, beautifully dried, but one did not refuse the hospitality of the gentry, let alone that of a lord. And, Luther would be the first to admit, there was a certain cat's curiosity that drew him to Castle Cain. Not many beyond the servants could say they had visited there. Yet hearsay let it be known that Lord Bledson might have extraordinary collections of his own. Some of them, so the stories of the servants said, though these stories were several years out of date now, most of the servants having taken up residence in the castle itself and rarely seen in the town. Some of them, these collections, were said to include living specimens of the rarest form. Oh, he should never have come. He gasped now for breath as he hid behind the gnarled trunk of a hawthorn. His clothes were shredded and singed. His exposed skin was the same. Rain had soaked him through, and only a sock covered one foot. Luther almost wished that he didn't know what the creatures were that pursued him across the moors adjacent to the moat surrounding Castle Game. Yet another part of him reveled. They were real, real. A snarling, huffing sound accompanied by the scent of burning flesh emphasized this revelation. They were real, and they were close. Such a night of wonders. First there had been the 
Could it have been? Could it really have been? The eyes that glowed softly, briefly, when the face was turned toward shadows, the alabaster skin that was almost translucent, looking as if it might tear at the most casual of touches, the subtle aroma of cardamom and perhaps vanilla, these were signs, and the distance in those eyes, the things that creature had seen, and the other, he had heard about such beings, of packs made in places lit by braziers burning the hair of virgins. Luther shivered, and had almost been glad when the lights had been snuffed out, and he had found himself on the moor with the baying of the hounds close at hand. For though there were many things that he would have liked to have added to his collection, there were prices that he feared he had not the courage to pay. And so he had thought to make his way on foot across the muddy lands between the castle and town, counting himself lucky to have seen what he had seen and survived. But the hounds were not ordinary hounds, and they were not in the distance, and he was not free. He was hunted. Luther fled across the moors ahead of them, a pack of four, perhaps five. Lightning and their fiery breath illuminated the night at intervals accompanied by cracks of thunder or howls of hunger, depending upon the source. Luther howled along with them. Now he runs again, knowing that the hawthorn is no protection. Indeed, it explodes behind him, a burst of white-hot incandescence that then settles to a ruddy red glow that casts his shadow before him, casts their shadow before him as well. He knows he shouldn't, he knows he should run, but he looks over his shoulder. They are there, the hounds, the hounds of hell. They seem to grin at him, and his last thought is of how, yes, just as the book said, their teeth are not just blackened from the soot of their internal fire, but black as obsidian is black, a bait of... Luther Arkeem's thoughts are cut off as his windpipe is ripped from his throat and hot blood sprays before it is boiled away in a torrent of fire. And the castle dines as well. But he wishes that, you know, somebody who might have observed him from a balcony somewhere might have come to help in some way. <laughs> you know, it's not like I didn't, like, run downstairs trying to find, like, an exit or something. It's true. But we got two of them. We can't feel too bad for that. <laughs> The only one... I guess I could have yelled really loud or leapt from the balcony. That would have been helpful to him. Very you could helpful. have used your um, opera clothing. You could have spread it out like those like those uh, uh, glider <laughs> wings. And then you could have swoop in on him like a flying squirrel. Where were we? Uh, descending the stairs. Laurie in front. Mr. Candlewick right behind him. Right. The two meat bags. Uh, Grace. <laughs> You know, that's come to think of it, that's not a great place for meat shields. Well, I don't. I'm trying to keep them from like not dying. I'm trying really, really hard. I, I, I trying to be a good guy. Trying to be a good person. And I figure if at least one of us has our eyes on them at all times, they can't just go willy nilly poofing in the air. Yeah, no, this is true. Halfway down the stairs, the house shudders again. There's a, a a creaking, a cracking. The walls actually of the stairwell crack all the way up from step to ceiling. And then some of the plaster rains down from the ceiling itself. And from below, you hear again. So, uh, Laura, are you any good at killing demons? Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, excellent. Well, I see no reason to stop. Let's go. The walls don't look like they're going to fall on us, are they? Well, you know what? Investigate a mystery. Dope. Okay. Investigate is sharp. 
Good job. It's 10 plus 1, 11. Ooh. Hoo-hoo. Hold two. Okay. Hmm. I kind of like what happened here and what is being concealed here. So I guess what happened would be like the immediate like shaking and growling. And then what has been concealed, addressing more the broader. So you pause for a minute, minute at the end of the train of people here, and you look at the cracks in the wall, and you put your hand against them, kind of feel within and feel how deep they are. And you're not doing that necessarily because you have any architectural, you know, skills or anything, but rather you've read about this. This is all coming together for you it seems to become clear to you that this evening has not been about determining who will become the next protector of Bledson. (laughs) Gasp. Surprise, everyone. Shocking. Amazing. But this is a, not a summoning, but a deal making. There's a deal being made here tonight, and the deal is being made in blood. No, uh... In revenge. You know, no pressure. No pressure, guys. And what you know from your readings, Grace, is that four sacrifices must be made. Well, that's unfortunate. Four sacrifices must be made. And once those four have been made, then the deal can be struck, whatever the deal is. I mean, a lot of people ask for immortality, but you know, I mean, that's so basic. (laughs) That's so last century. That's so cliche. Don't, don't, don't do it. But it could be anything. It could be immortality. It could be uh, limitless power. It could be uh, uh, unfathomable wealth. Any huge deal thing could be happening here. But here's the other thing. Well, there's two things. One, you know that the power involved in that, if that fourth person falls, if that fourth spike uh, on the ceremonial symbol is lit, then the power released will bring this castle down around you. So the, uh, just for for my sake, because Grace wouldn't have this cultural reference, but what we've essentially been hearing is the canon and the thing from the Hunger Games where they show the dead person's face. So there have been two sacrifices so far, is what I'm assuming. No, we've heard this happen twice so far. We've had twice where the house has shaken and the growl has happened. So what, what I'm assuming is that is a reaction to a sacrifice being made. That makes me wonder about the chick in the bathtub. Oh, fair. Hmm. Doesn't it, though? I'm gonna eye Redbone. She might have just been slurped up somewhere. Maybe it was Redbone all along. (laughs) Why are you looking at me as if I am some sort of steak? (laughs) I can't deal with him right now. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing, Grace that you know is that the sacrifices are being made to something, some creature, some otherworldly being. I mean, it could be a demon. It could be one of the old ones. It could be something from fairy. Uh, Any number of beings like that could be granting this power. But what you do know is that where the ritual is taking place and where the creature is don't have to be the same place. Mm, well, there went my plan B. Everyone stop. We should stop going downstairs. And I, I want to kind of sum up everything that I've just realized. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. I don't think we should be going downstairs. I, I don't know if it really matters where we go. Well, Isabella says, um, I, I think we should go to town. That's actually exactly maybe, what I was thinking. Like, forget that all of this ever happened. People who run through the dark and bump their heads do not get an opinion. <laughs> Damn it. But- 
there are still others that are wandering this godforsaken place that must be saved. What I'm thinking is... Not many, says Nathan Redbone. Not if what you say is right. I mean... Listen, what we ought to do is just deprive it of sacrifices. Get everyone out safely and leave the house. Suppose it follows us and kills us in town. It doesn't have to be in in this house to, to benefit. It just has to... But that's not entirely true, Grace. Uh, You know that. There is a range. Okay. The sacrifices have to be made within not even the realm of whoever's doing the uh, ritual. doesn't even have to be within the realm of their uh, entire control. It has to be a little closer than that. Hmm. Even though if if you assume that this is Lazarus Cain, and that is an assumption. That is an assumption. Then he has a big property. I mean, he did give us a big evil speech at the beginning, so... It can't be all of Bledson and Bledson County and, and the whole area. It, it is closer than that. But it, it is confined probably to his personal properties mm-hmm. here. So the castle and the immediate surrounding moors. And it does have to happen within a certain time frame. And you suspect, although you don't necessarily know for sure, but you suspect that that time frame is dawn, since that's what Kane was talking mm-hmm. about earlier. Oh, I have an idea. I'm going to point my cane at the two flesh bags who are just, like, breathing our air. And <laughs> and I want to point it at, at Angel Boy over here. I was like, why don't you do your little hocus-pocus thing and pop them off somewhere to the Himalayans or something to somebody you know and keep them far away from all of this? Just a town, Laurie. Just a town. He doesn't mean as the Himalayas. I mean, or whatever. You know, do your, your little Cupid-y thing. Maybe, and... maybe one at a time. You know, no offense, but we haven't been exactly successful at teleportation tonight. Whether it's one or two, it does not matter. I'm more concerned with you. With me? We go outside. We're outside. Woohoo! Damn it. <clears throat> Success. We go outside. Outside Castle Cane to the moat. And there, in that deep ditch filled with murky water, with rain slashing down and lightning illuminating the sky, we see something rise to the surface. Something brighter than the surrounding waters. Something that glows almost from within as it comes up. And then, as we see it more clearly, we realize that the glow is the reflection from the lightning light. That glow is not coming from anything within, but is rather that of of a stylish operatic dress as Priscilla floats to the surface, quite, quite drowned. No! Yep, there it is. The house shudders. Ah! Theory confirmed. More cracks appear in the walls. Plaster rains down upon you. A terrible, terrible growl comes from beneath. One that is hungry, 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 but yet somehow surprisingly sated. Hmm. I, would, I would like to... <laughs> I would like to uh, use my recollection of these things and the slurping noise that I'm hearing. Suppose this... This entity is denied its final sacrifice. What would happen to the person attempting to perform this ritual? I know that I wouldn't like to be them. I probably wouldn't either. And if there's, and how many more people are alive in here besides us? Uh, okay, so we had we have Nathan Redbone and his villa. Oh, the servants were ghosts. The servants were were ghosts, so they don't count. 
there were two men, two women, and a man at the bar. So the two women are accounted for. The man at the bar was Nathan Redbone. And uh, one of the men just died with hellhounds. Yeah, Luther. And one of the men died in a well. So we have the remaining survivors with us. In that case, there's no one here to save. It's us and Cain. That's the only guy. And I suspect he's not going to sacrifice himself. I say we leave this man to his machinations. Yeah, we need to get out right now. <laughs> we can't save those who are already dead. Yeah, no, we need to get out right now. I am of the same mind. I think this thing will consume itself. Make your way to the exit, and I will... It's a gambit. So, yeah, you don't know what would happen, but you you don't think it would be good. You know from uh, Chauncey, I mean, it's been so long ago when you became immortal and when you made your deal. You, you had prepared for the possibilities, but nothing had ever said what exactly would happen. So there's no guarantee. But it, it, none of the tracks, none of the secret cabal information that you uh, accessed indicated that it would be good. Cthulhu's just like, oh man, it's fine. You, you don't have to give me the fourth one. <laughs> yeah, Cthulhu's all like, oh yeah, man, like whatever, man. It's all cool. Here's the great dilemma. The Either we press on, or even if we say, say we take Mr. Redbone and Curious... Isabella somewhere else and the three of us press on heck even if one of us presses on and we get down there and succumb to whatever is below us that would be enough to fuel the fire and complete this ritual it would I'm not talking about going downstairs I'm talking about turning around right now going back up and leaving the house but if we flee from here there's no telling what kind of devastation this ritual could cause yes it will kill the man but think about the surrounding towns and everything else and the people in this area who knows what will happen to them? Enough of this talk. The town of Bledson is uh, about an hour's horse ride away. Yeah, and just imagine like a, a sea of ghouls descending upon some poor little orphanage and ripping all the children to pieces because we didn't go downstairs to finish, to stop whatever's happening. Well, would you would you rather drag five people downstairs and... If you insist on continuing, let me at least get these two to safety. Indeed. Well, the, the, well here, we should make up our mind inside... Should we press on? Because if even if one of us succumbs to whatever is down below, then that ritual will be complete, and who knows the horror that will unleash. It seems like a bunch of... That's what I think. I, I think that uh, cu- cutting the ritual off would be the, the lesser. Well, no. If we leave, what who, who's to say what won't be unleashed because of the failed ritual? Well, we have in our power to stop the ritual, but risk ourselves and the ritual being complete. I think I'd rather take the risk of the ritual not being complete, because... Lazarus will be consumed. All right, I'm going to look them all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to look them all. I was like, I can... Nathan Redbone says, um, I, whatever's making that growling sound, I, I don't want to <laughs> meet that. Oh my gosh. I'm going I'm to look at my, my two monster hunting companions here. And I was like, I can live with whatever horror is unleashed on this this area. I've I've seen it before. My conscience, I lost that a long time ago. But can you, you two, are you willing to stay in Bloodson and fight whatever horrendous things could possibly go wrong? I am. You were? I am willing. I am not willing to sacrifice these two innocents. These three innocents, if I count Grace. Oh, why, thank you. I'm all for that, says uh, Isabella. (laughs) Oh, God, I'm so glad it wasn't Redbone. I was about to have enough of his <laughs> lip. <laughs> oh, no, I'm I'm right there with you. I, I'm, I'm with the girl. Hey, how are you doing? I have a feeling that whatever happens if the ritual is cut off will be somehow lesser than if it's successful. 
And I would, I would rather face that. I mean, he might be summoning a giant volcano under his house. They might be in, in trouble either way. But I don't want to risk it. Ah, uh, Pompey. All right. Well, I'll stand by y'all's decision. Laurie, what do you think? Give me a moment as I get these two to safety. All right, Angel Boy. Can, can you, uh, you know, do that spookity spookity thing and take us all whoosh whoosh angel wings out of here? Not all at once, no. Well, we'll take these two first. Take Redbone and Isabella. Done. I lay my hands on Redbone and Isabella, and I am going to take them the F out of here. You know anybody in Paris? Paris is a great this time of year. <laughs> Roll angel wings. And that's a 10. Yes. Ooh. I take them to the curio shop. Lori, you successfully angel wing both Isabella and Nathan Redbone to the curio shop in the town of Bledson. It is dark there because it is night. The shop is closed. It smells a bit musty and dusty. Please find a good comfortable place to say to be safe for the night. Nathan throws up. And sober up, please. I'm not. It's just, what is it you... And then I will fly back. <laughs> For Grace and Chauncey, you see Lori put their hand on Nathan Redbone and uh, Isabella, and then there is sort of a, a flash, the after image, a set of very broad wings, wings that wouldn't even fit in this hallway, and yet they somehow do. And, uh, of course, the smell of uh, chamomile and uh, cinnamon. And then there's a moment, and then Lori reappears again with that same kind of effect. Poof. They are safe. Excellent. Now, it is time to decide whether we are leaving or fighting this madness. I think we should leave. Cut off the ritual, and if something comes for us, fight then. But if it collapses on itself, then we won't have to do anything. All right. I suppose. Now we just have to defend Bloods, Bloodson from whatever's happening. All right. Take my hands. Wait. One moment. One moment. Two things. I'm going to take my hat off. Tuck it nice and in, in, in the nook of my arm, and then I'm and I'm gonna turn downstairs and I'm gonna I'm gonna yell as loud as I possibly can. Lord Bloodson, your son died a coward. All right, let's go. Chauncey, is this quite the time? All right, so you all take hold of uh, Lori. Yep. Do it, Lori. All right. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> uh, that is an eight. Either we are all separated or we all appear in the wrong place. So, uh, well, you have a choice. All appear in the wrong place together. All the others put their hands on your shoulders. And, uh, you reach out and uh, grab their arms uh, just to be certain. And you spread your metaphorical and also real wings. And you go somewhere else. But that in the house of Cain, you have had difficulty. It's also been worse whenever Chauncey Candlewick was nearby. No! So this time, you feel it. I mean, you feel it go wrong. You you have the clear vision in your mind that you want to go to the curio shop where Nathan Redbone and Isabella are. But when you materialize, just heartbeats later, that's not where you are. You are in a space. It is a cavernous space. It is dark, but it also glitters as if the entire thing is the inside of a, of a geode. And um, the light that is here, which is emanating not from any one source, but from the beings gathered around you, as if that light is glittering off of the points of the stones of the geode. And you know this place, Lori. This 
is the place of judgment. This is the convocation of angels. And all around are your peers. Oh, God. The divine, the ascended, the angels. And they were doing something else. But they all see you three. And there's sort of a collective angelic gasp that goes around the room before you spread your wings once more. (laughs) Hello, all. (laughs) And flee this place. The Gothic Podcast is produced by C. Patrick Nagel with theme music by Zoe Hovland and cover artwork by Jared George Art. Listen to The Gothic Podcast on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow The Gothic Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or email us at thegothicpodcast at gmail.com. Support for The Gothic Podcast comes from you, our listeners, so please visit our Patreon page. Thanks.